Hello and welcome back to the God's Story podcast, exploring the big picture of the Bible to bring us back to the gospel. And today we're up to episode 28 and we're back to the letter to the Hebrews and we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 to 16. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm joined once again by Rido, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. And Rido, we're back in the uh, Space Art Gallery. Uh, and the Space Studio Gallery in Whanganui uh, in St. Hill Street, which is a beautiful uh, Art Deco building that's been recently restored. And we're upstairs in the artist working space. So if you hear the odd noise, don't worry, it's just the artist working away behind us. Welcome to the show, Rito. Thanks for having me again, Brent. Oh, it's a pleasure as always. And now what did we learn about the Lord Jesus Christ in Chapter 10? We, we have been learning a lot, haven't we? We've been learning an immense amount. Chapter 10 really is the powerhouse mm. of Hebrews, isn't it? One of the great powerhouse chapters in the whole Bible. Yeah, and it's really it's brought together all of what's been said uh, through the other nine chapters, and they kind of all, it just kind of explodes there in chapter 10. Uh, but that idea of Jesus coming and dying once and for all, it kind of really gets emphasised there. But there is nothing else that, that no other place that we can go other than to him. Uh, he is our salvation and he is the one that makes us holy. That's the big kind of thing for me that comes out in chapter 10 is that we are made holy through him. How did the writer of Hebrews urge us to persevere there at the end of chapter 10? Yeah, in kind of right towards the end of chapter 10, he's addressing the people saying, keep going, it's okay. You know, kind of if you hold on to your, your faith and uh, don't go back to obedience to the law, uh, then it will be okay. You know, kind of, we'll, you'll get it to the, you'll get there to the end. That, that Jesus will take you to the end. So persevere in holding, holding firm what you believe. How does the writer pick up on the themes of verse thirty-nine here, in chapter eleven, uh, chapter ten, verse thirty-nine? But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. How does he pick up on that in chapter eleven? Yeah, so right at the beginning there, we've you. It introduces this idea again of faith. And so the idea of belief and faith, it's actually the same word. Uh, so belief, faith, and trust in the New Testament is all the same word, this idea, this word pistis, uh, which uh, kind of, th- there's no difference between the word. Uh, and so we think that, oh, there's a difference between belief and faith and trust, but actually it's all the same thing. And so he picks up on the word in the, there in verse 1 of chapter 11. is actually the same word that he ended with in verse 39 of chapter 10. So I'll read verses 1 to 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Uh, Translation there, universe is... um, Perhaps not quite actually what the text says, but we'll come into that in a minute. Yeah. So how is this idea of believing picked up and explored here in verse 1? So at the end of uh, the last chapter, you've got uh, but of those who believe and are saved that kind of if you, if you kind of go back to obedience to the law, it shows that you didn't have faith. It shows that you didn't believe. But if you persevere, if you go on and believing uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the one to bring salvation, you will find salvation. Then it's picked up again here, isn't it? Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. What are we hoping for? Uh, we're hoping for Jesus to return. Yeah. What is this word? Pistis, is it in Greek? Pistis? Yep. Faith. What does it actually mean in the Greek? Well, it means faith. <laughs> it, means, it means belief. Kind of, it's, it's 
believing in something that that is true basically is, is how it works yeah. yeah in what sense is faith being able to see the future that god is bringing into reality well what is what, that part of the meaning behind it i think so because what, what what is faith really faith is is something that you don't know uh, kind of you don't have just yet right so it's something that can be true but you don't have just yet and so it's it's truth is to be revealed almost in that that kind of sense that and god does this all the time in the old testament in particular he says i'm going to give you these things so he says that to abraham he says that to david uh, this is what's going to happen and what's the response of the people they have to believe that god is actually going to do it how were the saints in the Old Testament able to take God at his word? Because they had pretty incredible faith, some of those saints, didn't they? Yeah, and this is a part of what faith is, that God says something and you're believing that he actually, what he said is true. And it's a problem with Adam and Eve that ultimately is that they disobey God at his word. But then uh, we have a reversal of that. Noah believed, you know, takes God at his word. Abraham takes God at his word. doesn't mean they're perfect people. They're not perfect people. Moses takes God at his word. David takes God at his word that this is what I'm going to do and the faith that they have does something kind of amazing in terms of the way that it works out in their lives but what they're believing is that God is actually going to do something in the future. Yeah, how were the saints in the Old Testament able to take God at his word? Well, because they believed that he was actually going to do something, that he, they believed that he was going to uh, actually fulfil what he said. What is it according to verse 3 that they had faith in? Well, ultimately, it has to be uh, about faith in God. You know, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So it's kind of like God said something that he actually was going to do it as well. Hmm. So what's so significant then about the Greek word there used there for what my ESV has universe, but it actually doesn't quite mean that. Does it mean ages or eternity? Yeah, so isn't it, I think it's the word eon. Eons. Yeah, yeah. Eon. Yeah. Eon. Yeah, it's like sort of the ages, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Yep. So in the, um, I'm just trying to find it in the, in the NIV, um, it also has universe, doesn't it? But it's the idea of the the eons, you know, kind of the the. It's it's pretty much the whole cosmos. It's everything. It's it's time. It's it's everything in there. Mm. In what sense does the Greek word include the idea of both the invisible and visible parts of the universe? Well, you've got. The, it's kind of the. It's all things kind of in this. By faith, we understand that the universe are all things were were formed at God's command. That that kind of. It's just the. Because you've got things like time, you've got things uh, that we can't see uh, all around us. And so it's all of those things. Yeah. Are we back to a bit of platonic thinking again, do you think? We've noticed this in previous passages. In what way? We well, you've got we the visible and the invisible. You know, you've got this mm. idea that you've got visible things and, and invisible things, which is part of Plato. You know, the idea that on earth you have an imperfect dog or an imperfect chair or an imperfect form of, of a, the invisible thing, which is... which well, exists somewhere out there. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, yeah, you're right. So why does creation exist then, according to the writer of Hebrews? So what it's saying in... Well, do, I can give you my answer. Because <laughs> um, right, it's, it's, it's what's the meaning of the universe, really, isn't, it? isn't that that type of question? But it's all formed for God's glory, you know, kind of everything coming back to him, everything coming and worshipping him. Uh, I and mean, that's not e exactly explicit here, uh, but that, that is ultimately what must happen. Has God created all things to tell his story? 
I think it's a part of that, that he creates this kind of world where he can... Um, it's like a stage. The world is is God's stage where he can reveal who, who he himself is. And I think that's, that's a really important thing to kind of grasp a hold of, is that if this world and everything's created in it, both the visible and invisible, are a stage, what's, what's the story that's being told here? And ultimately the story is what this God is like. Mm. So who are the five examples... Um, oh, I'm going to ask you before we come on to the five examples what the true cosmic story is, because that's really the whole point of this podcast. Well, it's kind of just a little bit what I've said, you know, God revealing who he is, how magnificent he is. But it's also, it kind of is extended out that, out of that in terms of people, he's gathering people together to come and worship him because it's good for them and it's good for him. Mm. Okay, well, who are the five examples we're given of people who lived out the cosmic story? Who it's are the five? Of, it, they're all kind of um, people right back, kind of at the beginning of the Old Testament, all all back in uh, Genesis, and we have more and more kind of as we flow through through Hebrews eleven. But the first five are Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah. Okay, so let's read about them from verse four, verses four to twelve of Hebrews eleven. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found. Strange, the story of Enoch, isn't it? Mm. Because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, uh, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Okay, so let's go back to Abel. Why was Abel's sacrifice better than Cain's? Are we ever told? No. <laughs> and it's one, of these, it's one of these debates, isn't it, that kind of goes around and around. And some people say that, because I think, is it Abel that brings the lamb, you know, kind of the, and, and Cain that brings the fruit, you know, kind of that people say, oh, that obviously it was the, the sacrifice of the lamb was better. We're not told. Uh, I, I don't think there's any... Is there any reason? What was it to do with the spirit in which he brought the sacrifice? I, I think it is. Mm. It is that that it's the kind of one is doing it as, as kind of the, the leftovers, and one I think is doing it as a, as a way because they have a relationship with God, and it's kind of the first fruits. Yeah. So, in what sense then did Abel look forward in faith to what God was doing? Well, what's the hope that they have right at the beginning? There, it's the hope that God is going to restore, maybe not go back to the garden, but restore. Uh, the relationship uh, with God. And so uh, particularly Abel, I think that's what we're seeing with Abel is that this hope of sacrifice uh, is the hope of, of what God is going to do in restoring relationship. Why is Enoch included here? Because we don't know a lot about Enoch, do we? 
No, there's, there's only, it's only a, a verse or two, isn't it, mm. about him. It's basically, you know, he walked with the Lord and then he was no more. And, you know, it's, it's kind of odd that that, that gets picked up on. I mean, the, the, but this is what the writer of Hebrews does. He picks up on these odd kind of things and um, highlights them for us. But what, are they, what does he say here? Uh, he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. You know, it's kind of this idea of, of a righteous man walking along and then... You know, God's taken him away. Mm, was being translated by the sound, or dis- disappearing. Or yeah, something. yeah. So in verse 6, how does faith please God? Um, well, you've got there at the beginning, it, it, without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists, that, that if, you don't, if you don't believe, you can't please him. So I guess the opposite must be true. You know, if, that, if you do believe, you can please him. And it must be, I think, I, I think it's a life of worship is a thing because you, you're believing and then you're living that out. Mm. How can we live out God's story then according to verse 6? Uh, we need to draw, draw near to God. So drawing near, I think, is just a way of talking about coming, believing and actually accepting and then living that out. Yeah. So I, th- I think that that's kind of the key thing is that actually living out what you believe. Mm. How did Noah trust God according to the writer to Hebrews? Well, he actually obeyed. He did what, what God asked. And, and he built a very large boat. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. And I, I think that's probably the key thing is that. But but you've got you you've got a sense with Noah that he is already obedient before that. It's not like that he just kind of does this kind of strange thing out out kind of somewhere. He actually already believes. Mm. How does Noah become the heir of the righteousness that comes by faith? So I'll just read that little bit at the end there of verse 7. It says, By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Um, that he is the one, that, that's what he's kind of called, isn't he? He's called a righteous man. And it doesn't mean that he is necessarily a, per, necessarily a perfect man. We actually see that he isn't as the story kind of goes on. Uh, but that what faith does, and we see that with Abraham as well, is that what faith does, you are commended for, as righteous when, when, when you... When you have faith, that somehow God transfers righteousness to you through your faith, and so faith goes hand in hand with righteousness. Yeah, and it's not necessarily that that it's our righteousness, but it's God's righteousness conferred to us somehow. Mm. What do verses eight to twelve tell us about Abraham and Sarah? Well, yeah, and they're the models of faith, and this gets picked up. Well, that's all- that's funny because I, I, they don't believe initially, do they? Well, you've got this at all different points, you know, where they don't believe. So you, which is kind of funny that often in the Old Testament, when you have uh, someone, when God gives a covenant, the very next thing that happens is that people disbelieve rather than than believe. But uh, in uh, chapter twelve of Genesis, what what do you have? You have Abraham and Sarah believing. They go, uh, they obey God, and they go, and God says. This is all the things I'm going to do for you. But what's the very next thing? They don't believe that there's a famine, and so they don't believe that God's going to care for them. And so they, he goes and lies and kind of tells Pharaoh that Sarah is his sister or something like that. Yeah, and gets everybody into a great deal of trouble. Why was Abraham's search for a city with foundations so significant here? Why does he mention that? A search for a city with foundations. Because he knows that, well, one, they lived in tents, so it wasn't really great foundations and a tent is there but he he knows that this is what God is doing that he's bringing something even surer even firmer than what is happening around us that you know cities come and go that they're built and then they're destroyed Uh, but this is something that that's even more secure than that even though he's living in a tent 
he knows that God is building something greater. Why, why is the issue of Abraham and Sarah's descendants so important here? Yeah, so you've got, um, so you, you mean in verse 11? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, uh, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Now, it's a, there's two interesting things about this. One, one is that God had promised them uh, that uh, he would bless them with children, and that they're unable to have children but also when sarah receives that promise through abraham uh first she disbelieves and she kind of goes she laughs yeah yeah Mm. but then she what do they do they kind of he gets abraham her husband to sleep with hagar yes you know she had plan b she has has plan b yeah you have this all throughout the old testament is that people try and play god in terms of trying to fulfill his his covenant for him his his uh, kind of promises but it never works out well. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Verses 13 to 16 next of 11. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak of us make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Wonderful passage, yeah. uh, Rito. Yeah. So in what sense then did all these saints believe what God was doing? Well, they believed that there was something coming in the future, that, he was going to, that God's story wasn't finished just with them uh, or kind of even just with uh, their kind of passage or time with their children, that, that God was doing something great and grand. Now, they hadn't had a full vision of what that would look like, but as time kind of goes on through the Old Testament, that vision is kind of expanded as we see what God is really doing. Mm. In what senses were those saints looking for a better heavenly country? And what did that mean? Well, they're, they're not looking for kind of an established kind of place right here on earth. They're... they're they're looking for what God is actually building. Uh, that in it's 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 not just kind of how do we how do we build a big city and make ourselves look great and, and things like that. But God is doing something greater and grander than that. What is our better heavenly country then? Well, I think ultimately it has it has to be Jesus, kind of Himself. Um, that's that kind of sounds a bit odd that that Jesus can be you know a person can be a country, but He is the thing that's that's firm, established, eternal, uh, and that when He returns, He's not going to whisk us away to kind of some, some other place, but he's going to uh, actually bring heaven with him. Why does the writer of Hebrews direct those first century Jewish Christians back to these saints in the Old Testament? What's his purpose behind doing so? Well, what, what he's trying to show is that this is one narrative. It's one story the whole way through and how, that, how Jesus and the story that they're now living in is actually the fulfillment of what they were, they were seek, those people were seeking, what Abraham was seeking, what... Uh, you know what Noah and all the others were seeking we are now living in that fulfillment Mm. how come this passage speak to those of us who are struggling to keep going in our culture today do you reckon yeah I I think when you look back at at those people who did have those kind of Old Testament characters I mean we don't want to idolize them we need to be careful not to do that because they're not perfect people but they're still pictures of faith that that they went through difficulties they went through hardships um, and but they kept going and God looked after them he doesn't mean that that things weren't difficult of course they were uh, but their uh, kind of their trust that God was doing something bigger than just what was going to be fulfilled in their their own life 
that's what kind of drove them on. I think it can drive us on too. Mm. How can we be certain that God's cosmic story will be completed? Because it already has kind of been completed, <laughs> hasn't it, with um, Jesus' death and resurrection. The resurrection really is the pinnacle of that. You know, it's the pinnacle sign that uh, the the piece of evidence to 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 say this is secure, this has been done, uh, that that Jesus will come and fulfil that that thing. So we already we already have a kind of piece of that. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit, then uh, that kind of is the is the mark on us or in us uh, that. It's going to happen for sure. Yeah, well, how then do we participate today in God's story? Well, I think this is one of the unique things about the Bible is that it, um, when it kind of is applied to our lives and that, that kind of this bigger story, rather than kind of saying this is how you kind of need to kind of all be the same, it actually says, hey, God has made you unique as a person uh, and how you feel that, how you kind of live that out will be different for each one of us, uh, that the gospel, how it works out in us, how it kind of uh, is played, you know, kind of outplayed in our lives will be different for each person. And I think this is the beauty of it, that what we need to do is then come and say, well, how, what will it look like for me to worship uh, in my life? Yeah, so this is God's story, but we, we talked last week uh, or last time in the last podcast about some of the other narratives or stories that shape our and have shaped our Western culture. But what what are some of the stories that our culture is telling us today, and why are these not always good stories? Well, I think I think one of the, there's kind of two big stories that are going on. One one is that you can have everything uh, and be satisfied, and the other one is that you can be anything and be satisfied. But both of them, I think interestingly, both of them um, kind of, when you look at it, it's they, they, rather than making you unique to be what God has kind of called you to be in who, who you are in terms of your personality and the relationships that, that God has called you to be, these other stories uh, often try and make you the same and so that you, you become a consumer. But one of the things you consume, everyone has exactly the same appliances in their house, you know, kind of, or the houses all look exactly the same, all of those types of things. There's, there isn't uniqueness, there's actually just sameness. Or when you when we say, oh, you know, kind of, I want to be who I want to be, um, but funnily, funnily enough, you look, end up being like someone else rather than your, your own self. Yeah, in what, in what sense, as I wonder, are the, are the stories of our modern culture harmful stories do they they sometimes harm us rather than make us better yeah i think there, there is a sense that they we kind of need to get in underneath them and see how they can be what aspect of them are good but i think ultimately they're harmful because they lead us away uh from from god rather than towards him and ultimately what they do is they they end up in forms of uh, legalism again which is kind of funny to say that how can you know i be um, I just want to be myself. How can that be a form of legalism? Well, it, it does because I have to live a certain way and I have to fulfil certain requirements and, and goals and things like that to, to kind of be fulfilled as a person. Yeah, and to, and to feel fulfilled. And if I don't reach them, then I won't feel fulfilled. It's a very brittle and very insecure story to, buy, to have bought into. I think ultimately it is, yeah, it, it is very insecure. And what and, and I think ultimately that, that, that can be harmful because they, they end up with a lot of... Uh, unfulfilled, you know, kind of people, a lot of joy, you know, kind of it strips the joy out of you. Uh, but also, there can be a lot of guilt and shame kind of wrapped around that that can't actually be dealt with either. Mm. So, in what sense is the cosmic story of the Bible then the only true story, Rito? Well, I think it does the opposite. It opens you up rather than closes you down. Um, because I think what often the stories around us do 
is they shut us down uh, because they they segregate us from other people. We have to be like um, kind of particular groups of people and things like that or have particular things. And if we don't have those things, then we kind of ostracise from others. Uh, but I think that what this does is it takes the the best of all of those stories, the best of every every cultural story and says, hey, this is what you're really longing for and this is how you'll find it find fulfillment in it yeah why why is it the only story that truly makes sense of who and what we are well i think all of those other stories are just kind of aspects or kind of you know kind of cheap kind of you know kind of um models of of the true story you know, in, in that kind of way uh, because this one true story what it's doing is it, it it's kind of it's bringing us in it's making us unique it's bringing us fulfillment and joy in a way that no other story can. Mm. Why does God's story end with a city? Going back to that imagery in Hebrews. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, we, start, we start the Bible with, in a garden, and then we end in a city. Mm. Yeah, and that, that's really the narrative of the story, isn't it? Garden to city. You know, we Often people you hear people say, oh, yeah, we're going to go back to the Garden of Eden. No, we're not. <laughs> yeah, kind of, we're going to go forward. And I think actually that, that is the was always the story um, that was going to be... I, of course it is, because this is, it, you know, there was no plan B in the story. But, but Adam and Eve's task was, was, I think, ultimately to build a city, and Jesus is the one that actually does it. Uh, and so humanity is always our, our task has been to build cities. Uh, but what are the cities that we've built? They're like Babel. They're ones that bring us glory, rather than the, the ones to bring God glory. So Jesus then is our true city. Yeah, and that that when he returns, what is he bringing? He's bringing. He brings the New Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Yes, right. yes, the image in Revelation, yeah. uh, which is of the heavenly city coming down to earth. And what does it do when it comes down? It renews everything. It doesn't do away with everything, but it's as God kind of, as Jesus kind of comes down, he, he purifies everything around it. And rather than it kind of being one of destruction, it's actually one of renewal. Mm. And destruction, it will be a little bit a part of that. Mm. Okay, uh, thank you, Ian. Another great discussion on Hebrews. Uh, Rido Ian, Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North, New Zealand. And uh, we've been today, we've been fortunate to be sitting in the uh, Space Studio Gallery in St. Hill Street, Whanganui, uh, upstairs in the artist space. So if you heard a little bit of traffic noise and a little bit of noise, that's the artist working and that's we're on a busy corner, street corner in town. So uh, we've loved and thank you to Sarah Williams for uh, hosting us and looking after us today. And uh, thank you, Rito. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com. Godstory